Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST-120, the Zoog's Rift album, Ipecac. It's our first of four Zoog's Rift albums in a row, Brant, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, Mark Myler's on the podcast. April is the month of Zoog's at Mojack Pod. That's right. It's too bad we can't drop this on April the 1st or something, but we're not that quick. We're all April. This will all be in April, man, the whole month. Okay, we're going to hit it? Yeah. We're, okay. hit, we're hitting our target. Nice. We're, we're, we're in the Moamo <laughs> incubation phase for April. <laughs> right on. Get out your Vaseline. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. Um, hey, I've uh, I've got a few spiels here. Actually, you know what? I think I can guess what one of your spiels is going to be. So I'm not going to throw it to you. I'm actually going to start start with my first one. And it relates to Deep Purple and the album Burn. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And, and my answer is no. Oh, no go. So hey. sorry. No go. So sorry. No, I can't do that. Hmm. I can't. You know, like, you're, you'd probably be like, oh, come on, it's classic rock. It's, it's you know, how can you not like it, right? Is that what you're thinking? Well, yeah. Yeah. But for me... I, I don't have much room for classic rock okay. in my life. I put it that way. Like I've got, you know, Zeppelin, Hendrix, some ones like that, but no room for the purple. Sorry, dude. Hey, and I thought of one other thing that I hadn't heard from you in a while on. Did you finish those uh, Chili's records? Did you get through the last few Red Hot Chili Pepper records? I think I abandoned, abandoned that uh, project. Oh. oh, dude. Okay, well... I th I suspected as much right when you were <laughs> right when it was about to get good. I suspected as much. I don't think hey, it I was about it, to get good. It was. Trust me. I thought of one good thing about COVID nineteen, man. Hmm. I thought I would I thought I would lay this on you. Okay. Okay, but there's just one good thing. Okay, <laughs> here's one. This weekend, and a lot of artists are doing this. They're having little bedroom concerts or, or whatnot but um sst related scott reynolds from all goodbye harry pavers he did one this weekend in his bedroom and i loved it i've watched it twice actually and people should check that out it was so good there's been a few herbert our buddy herbert did one. Oh right yeah i think hr's doing one actually i saw that too yep a few of them but yeah it just made me want to listen to uh, all of Scott Reynolds' uh, all records. And today when I was, it's not social distancing now, it's physical distancing. Is that what it's called now? I think I, so. I don't know. I think they changed it because I think social distancing is like not PC or whatever. But I was out um, I was out grocery shopping today and I had my headphones on. And I was blasting Goodbye Harry. It was awesome. Hmm. Uh, now, my final spiel, because... I was going to start something and I stopped myself because I bet you you're going to spiel about this. Uh, but my final spiel is a new proposed segment. Okay. Are you ready for this? Do we need echo on your voice for this? No, we definitely don't. <laughs> Did you ever end up doing that? Yeah. Did it man. work? Yeah, check it out. <laughs> uh, I don't listen to our shows. Anyways, uh, new proposed segment. Now, you've heard of a top 10, right? We do, we do like a, our year-end top 10, right? Right. Okay, so this isn't a top 10. It's my last 10. Get it? 
what the last 10 records you've listened to could be could be the last 10 i've listened to or something i've read or watched this is my last 10 purchases okay are you ready yeah man it's rapid fire go you ready yeah okay here we go in no particular order i bought a couple of records by this band called modern rituals from london they're kind of an alt noise band one two albums one called this is the history and uh their new one is actually i can't remember which is the new one i i think it's light that leaks in or maybe it's this is the history don't know i bought this comp called the big one comp it's from 1991 brant and one side is la bands and one is san francisco bands okay from 1991 so it's got the melvins uh and and bands like that on uh, kind of one side uh, pop defect claw hammer it also has some good old really old green day on it down by law it's a great comp and it might even be a a comp shout out um maybe just no, maybe the comp zone is that what the is that what it is yeah, the, the comp, comp zone? zone yeah Okay, sorry. It's podcast shout out, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Um, I got I got the new record by Savick. Remember them? Not Sarek, Savick. Right. Called Rotting Teeth in the Horse's Mouth. That's a great record. I got uh, two new records by this band called Lardo Brandt. Ever heard of them? Nope. I've heard of Lard. Nope. nope. This is Lardo. They. I bought two records, one called Gunmetal Eyes and one called Sinking. This is a a Chicago noise band kind of current. I finally got that human impact record on Ipecac. It's good. Which eh? is, Oh, it's so good. And it's on the label Ipecac, the name of this episode. Tie in, tie in, <laughs> not really tie in alert, tie in <laughs> alert. Um, I got that sweet 16 record. Mine would be the sun by, uh, Rob Nesbitt from bum. That's a, that's a great pop rock punk album and you know who i thought would like it uh one of our listeners jeff shrek would like that yeah jeff shrek check out the sweet 16 it's killer i got uh this is number nine the new mint mile record called ambertron this is tim midget from silkworm and bottomless pit and uh he, this is their fourth or his fourth record um with his various musicians mint mile and uh he's actually going to be on conan neutrons podcast which king buzzle was on last week mm-hmm. so check that out that's a podcast shout out yeah it's a it? great podcast he's had some yeah, wicked guests on there yeah conan neutrons records are good too and then finally number 10 i'm saving number 10 for you man because this was a recommend from you the lee harvey Keitel band capitalism versus schizophrenia from 1997 on morpheus records got that love it there you go that's my last 10 nice there you go all right Uh, spiel it for the dude brand okay i have some here's a a documentary i've had for a while that i finally got around to watching i've probably had this for a couple years and i've never watched it it's the documentary called jandek on corewood have you seen that ryan i haven't seen it but i but i know who that guy is yeah so i probably didn't watch it because i don't really like jandek neither do i but i (laughs) but i but i respect him yeah it's an interesting documentary and there's a bit of a tie-in john truby is featured in the 
a lot in the documentary and he's got close ties to Zoogs. He is one of the only people to ever interview Jandek. He interviewed him for Spin Magazine in 1985 and they play the recording of that interview. Uh, but it's got people like Dr. Demento, Byron Coley, Calvin Johnson. Here's a SST related uh, release kind of thing. Uh, in case anyone missed it, Sonic Youth released 12 live shows on their Bandcamp page. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some SST era stuff too. Live in Holland 83. This was originally released by the Sonic Death fan club. Two tracks, Cotton Crown and PCH, live in London 87, originally released as a 7 inch for the Sonic Death fanzine. Uh, one of my favorites, live at the Continental Club 86 from Austin, Texas, heavy on Evol tracks, originally a, C a CD giveaway uh, with the Sonic Death fanzine. That one, it doesn't say, but it sounds like a board tape to me. City Gardens, Trenton, New Jersey, 1987, heavy on Sister era tracks. And at that show, they played with Dos Domin and Dinosaur. Ooh. Yeah. Killer stuff. Man. That's a great way to kill an afternoon during self-isolation. There's more stuff on there, too, that's not from the SST era. And then, Ryan, there's a new DOA album. They're calling it a full-length album. It's more like an EP. It's only eight, tra eight tracks. It's 18 minutes long. Uh, but it's their 18th studio album. It's called Treason. Uh, they recorded it just in this January, and it's, of course, on Joe's Sudden Death Records. To be honest, it's really only about four tracks, in my opinion. There's, I guess, maybe a bit of filler on there. There's a track called It Was DOA, which is kind of their take on the Stompin' Tom song Tilsonburg, but it's about DOA instead. Just Got Back from the USA, which is a track that they did on their 2018 album Fight Back, so I'm not sure why that one's on there. Fucked Up Donald, which is their hmm. update of Fucked Up Ronnie, which... Hasn't that been out for a while? Yeah, it's already on a 7-inch. And then a yeah. cover of Neil Young's Hey Hey My My. So, if you take those four tracks off, there's four kind of originals, I guess. All the President's Men, Wait Until Tomorrow, which is my favorite, Gonna Set You Straight, and It's Treason. That's it. I always have to talk about a new DOA release, so... That's it? Uh, oh, man. I, I didn't, I was wrong. I pre I was, I thought that you were going to spiel about my SST covers and tribute comps. Like I thought you're going to bat some cleanup this episode, man. No, no cleanup for you. Sorry. Okay. Well, I got one for you then. Okay? Maybe next week if some listeners throw some stuff at us, I bet they will. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, I, I took heed. I took heed, Brent. You did. To your comment last well last episode you're like that can't be all of them and so i'm just going to give you one and it relates to one of your spiels i found a sonic youth tribute album oh yeah called confuse your idols found that one has steel pole bathtub on it which i know you're a fan of yeah as am i yeah so uh confuse your idols sonic youth tribute brand now find me some more and that black flag one we can't remember. Right. Someone will tell us about it, man. Okay. Do you want to get into some Zoogs? It's time for Sunday brunch, my friend. History lesson, part one. All right. So, Brent, we've had some Zoogs before, and I thought before we get to Mark, before we get to anything else, I thought 
I would try and piece together where we are in the Zoog's album releases very quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, do it. Okay. Now, I, I will say that there, I did find some conflicting information, so please correct me. But... <laughs> There's a ton of conflicting information with Zoog's. Like, I have his book, Clams in a Glass. We have interviewed three people now that were in his band, and... I'm still, I still have more questions than answers every time we do a Zooks Rift episode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, hey, let, let me try, okay? And I'll, and I'll do it kind of in two orders, SST order and chronological order. So I'll start with um, the S, just because, you know, this is episode 120 and we've had Zoogs on three times before. We had SST 77, The Island of Living Puke which came out in 86, which I believe is his fifth release. And then SST 88 was Looser Than Clams, also in 86. And then SST 99, Water. And we had those three, but I wanted to hit those three off the bat because those are catalog numbers 77, 88, and 99. We should mention, too, we had Mr. California on 77 and E. Bentley O'Brien on 99. On water? I think so. Yep. But people should go and check those out because, I mean, it really does set the stage in reverse order, I suppose, for this one. But here here we are at SST-120, the Ipecac record, which I think came out in uh, 1984 and I believe is his second album, his first being what will be SST-123, Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course from 1979. But that's the fourth one in April. Our next one in April is SST-121, Interim Resurgence from 85, and SST-122, Amputees of Limbo from 85. Um, and then there'll be a bit of a break. We'll get to SST-137, which is Water 2, which came out in 87. And then SST-211, Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans, which is 88. So I think the order is, by the time we get to this one, this is his second album, Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course, number one. We'll get to that in a few weeks. And then his second album, Ipecac. I think that's how it fits together. Yeah, I'm not sure. There might have been some Zoba stuff before that. I thought I read somewhere that, oh, this, sure. was, that this was his third album as Zoogs, but I'm not sure about that. Hmm. But was was the Zoba stuff under Zoogs? No. Like that pre that, yeah, that predates Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course, I thought. Yeah, Zobus. it does, yeah. yeah. Right. So so this may be his third album, but at least as far as I could tell, it's his second one under the name Zoog's Rift. Third album, second one under Zoog's Rift. That's where I'm going. Well, the interesting thing for me that I was thinking, these next four releases we're going to be listening to all predate him getting signed to SST, even though they came out later if this makes any sense and uh it, yes it does <laughs> so th so this album and the next three would have been the ones that greg ginn and chuck dukowski heard you know to to give him the money to record looser than clams yeah and it's hard it's hard to believe or no sorry island of living puke island of living puke yeah <laughs> it's it's hard to believe hearing this record and going, give that guy some money. I don't know. We're, we're talking about Greg Ginn here, man. 
I suppose, definitely would have just, you know, respected the art, the creativity and the zaniness, I guess. Well, I mean, if you read his book, he got turned down by every record label, you know, in Zoog's Zoog's Rift. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) Yeah. You know what, though? Like, this is not one of my favorite Zoog's Rift records. I'll say that. I like it. Yeah, it's I like the three that we listened to before already um, better than this one for sure. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like this one. Uh, So, yeah, this came out a number of times. It came out originally in 1984 on Snout Records on cassette. That's his label, cassette only. And it came with an extra six and a half minutes live at Bebop Records from July 6th, 1984. It came out on a picture disc on NSFD Records. According to Discogs, they did 11 releases on that label and looks like they were all picture discs. Didn't this come out on picture disc twice? Yep, I'll get to that. Uh, (laughs) Including on NSFD, a Vox Pop 8-inch picture discs. Uh, Azra Records, which was David Thomas Richards, kind of ran that label, and he had a bunch of labels. He either ran or financed mostly metal stuff, metal storm records, ironworks, and there was like hundreds of records between all these different labels, and almost all of them were picture discs. That was kind of what he specialized in, I guess. Actually, there's a thing about that in Clams in a Glass. Hold on. Clams in a Glass, by the way, in case I didn't mention this, is Zoogs' book. He says, I spoke with Dave Richards of Azra Records about putting out a condensed one-record picture disc which he specializes in, version of Ipecac, and he agreed. He also wanted to put out a 12-inch single version of a song from Ipecac called Sit Down and Shut Up, and I agreed. Before long, the wheels were rolling. I don't think that that 12-inch single thing happened, though, as far as I can yeah, tell. I, I've not seen it, no. Yeah. Do you even like picture discs? Like, they're neat, but they usually all sound pretty crappy, hey? Yeah, usually. Is there, is there any picture disc that you're like, that's my go-to picture disc for you? Go-to picture disc? I don't think yeah, so, what's man. Your, what's your go-to picture disc, man? What about that uh, Cowgirls Route 66? Yeah, actually, that sounds like shit, to be honest with you. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> all they, all of the new Iron Maiden albums are all picture discs. Oh, you can't just get it on, like, normal vinyl? Maybe they've been reissued on normal vinyl, I'm not sure, but the original ones of like Brave New World and Dance of Death and all those records, they're all picture discs. And how do they sound? Okay. I would have thought that they would, they'd put a little bit of cash behind making a picture disc sound a little bit better. Yeah, they sound good. Hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, Ryan, this was also released in 1992 on German label Musical Tragedies on picture disc. Only 40 copies, though. And that musical tragedies, there's actually some really cool stuff on there. TSOL, Gas Huffer, The Farts, White Flag, and a Zoog's Rift album called Villagers from 1992. And then we get to the SST version. So they released it on cassette and LP. So I'm going to read you a bit from uh, Zoog's book, Looser Than Clams. No, is that the name of his book? It's Clams or Sorry, in Clams in a Glass, sorry. Right. I right, can't right. keep all my clam stuff straight here. Yeah, yeah sorry. Okay, so this is early 1983. In February or so, I put the band back together and we rehearsed once in a while in a studio in North Hollywood. A sax player who Rich had met, Mark Myler, 
joined the band and let us have rehearsals in his garage at his house in Canoga Park. He also had a four-track recording studio in his house, which proved to be extremely convenient and essential later on. I had a strong argument with Sharky about tardiness, and he and Danny quit the band, leaving me stuck for players. So John Truby and John Grossman filled in on guitar and bass, respectively. We recorded a three-song EP called You're Killing Me at Mark's Flipside Studios, but it was quickly and unanimously rejected by the L.A. record companies. Ron Goody of Bemis Brain Records told Laura, There was no sense in our shopping around tapes of Zoog's music anymore, because I was already well-known throughout the industry and considered as radical as you can get. In other words, in his opinion, I didn't, I didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting a record deal. Not now. Not ever. Very encouraging. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, see here he's talking about, now he's talk, going into amputees in limbo. I think this, we'll say this is his third record, Ipecac, because I think while they were working on this record, Amputees in Limbo came out on cassette. Okay, now he's talking about recording at Mark's. We set up a schedule, and the goal was to complete the project within that amount of time. The amount of time we agreed on was plenty, taking Mark's personal situation into account. But from the shithead's point of view, it wasn't anywhere near enough time for me to get everything done. As the weeks progressed, the recordings progressed, but at a much slower pace. People didn't remember their parts. Other would show up an hour and a half late. A few knew their parts but had a very difficult time playing them. Lunches had to be eaten, and the dogs had to be fed. When my time ran, ran out and Ipecac was only half finished, things got hairy between me and Mark. Sparing you the gory details, we eventually put additional time into it, and by the end of June, Ipecac was now a completed, proposed two-record set. I once again shopped it around the local industry, and this time, most recipients didn't bother to respond at all. So interesting, Ryan, that this was going to be a, a two-record set. Yeah, does it, does it mention where the tracks went that did not find their way onto this record? Yeah, so if you listen to the digital version of this, which I would recommend because there's three tracks on it that are great, uh, which I'll talk about when we, when we go through the tracks... In his book, he's talking about amputees in limbo a little bit, little bit, and he says he released a 90-minute deluxe European edition, which contained unreleased tracks from the Ipecac sessions. But I can't find anything about that on Discogs. So, and then he kind of ends this chapter in his book by going, "It was the end of 1984. Ipecac was due out any minute, and I completed and printed the first edition of this book, which sold about a half dozen copies." <laughs> <laughs> in january 1985 ipecac was finally released so once again i threw together a new band to promote the record i mean it's not going to come as a huge surprise to you ryan that this clams in a glass book is kind of all over the place oh yeah it's pretty hard to follow the the chronology in it yeah i'm not going to protest your position that this is the third album rather than the second like because everything out there is seems about 50 percent right yeah let's throw it over to mark let's do that okay we're joined on the podcast today by mark mylar mark thanks for being on the show oh sure no problem thanks for having me 
Take me back, if you can, to the first time you, you heard Zoog's Rift and how you met Zoog's. Okay, well, um, I, I, I didn't hear him. I, I actually heard about him first, uh, you know, because I was uh, subscribing to uh, Music Connection magazine because uh, I'm in L.A., and that was, you know, pretty popular uh, as far as, you know, uh, keeping track of the, of the rock scene. And um, I had a rock band at the time, and I was trying to, you know, promote it. And so that was one of the ways we, uh, you know, would promote it would be by getting reviewers and so forth to write about us. Uh, I was reading about Zooks for, you know, probably several months, uh, before I actually met him. And then it turns out that the guitarist of my band happened to work with, I guess, um, let's see, the guitarist's girlfriend worked with Richie Hess, okay. who was in Zeus's band at the time. And, uh, you know, Richie's a longtime uh, contributor, and uh, as you know. And so uh, through my guitarist and his girlfriend, I met Richie. And so I started talking to Richie, and he was talking about being in a band, you know, with Zoog's Rift. And I go, oh, that's rang a bell because I had been reading some reviews about him. Okay. Well, and uh, so I, I was invited to, you know, to check out uh, Zoox's band at a, at a gig or whatever. And I'm not sure exactly where it was located because, you know, it was 1982. Uh, by my count, that's, that's what, 38 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> what was your rock band? It was uh, sort of a new age, uh, not new age, new wave band. Um, and in fact... Um, we were um, going to play the Troubadour, and um, uh, they uh, said that we were a uh, progressive punk fusion band. So you know, figure <laughs> out, maybe you can figure out what, what it was that we did. Uh, but it was called the Wingtips. And, oh, right, you know, yeah. Uh, it was a, it, yeah, it was a four-piece band, uh, you know, bass, drums, guitar, and then myself on saxophone and keyboards. So uh, I was playing, you know, keyboards and, 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 and singing. I actually did some of the vocals as well. So uh, didn't do any vocals with Zeus. Uh, that mm -hmm. uh, that was pretty much restricted to uh, saxophone, and I did a lot of synthesizer work as well, because uh, that was integrated into my studio. Did the Wingtips release anything? Uh, we had a, a couple cassettes, you know, nothing. Mm -hmm. We weren't signed to any labels, you know. We we played the local gigs. We we played uh, Gazaris and and uh, we played the Troubadour, as as I mentioned. Uh, they didn't like us very much there because we weren't a like a heavy metal hair band, which was real popular right. at the time. Uh, but, you know, put out a couple of uh, cassette-only releases, one of which, um, one of the reviewers, the local reviewers that was writing about Zeus at the time was uh, Matt Groening, uh, as you may have heard. And uh, he actually reviewed one of one of our, uh, our tapes there. You know, he was kind of lukewarm about it, but, you know, I thought, because he was a writer for the L.A. Reader at the time. So, uh, obviously, in hindsight, you know, Matt is, you know, somewhat successful now. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about your studio then. How did you get involved in studio work? You owned the studio, right? Like it was in your house? That is correct, yeah. I, I, ever since I was in college, uh, back in the uh, early 70s, I have uh, had recording equipment. Uh, in fact, I was you know, spending my, my tuition on recording equipment back then. Uh, don't tell anybody, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, didn't, I couldn't make my, uh, my fingers. That was before student loans were popular. Uh, right. Yeah. So anyway, I had uh, always had recording equipment. It started out with stereo recording, and I was doing sound on sound, bouncing two tracks onto another two tracks while recording a third track, and then building that up that way. Um, so I, I was back. Uh, that's when a, uh, a loop was actually a loop, uh, you know, with right. analog tape. And uh, uh, I was recording my own weird, you know, electronic music. I was into techno before anybody knew what that was, you know, some. Uh, tape manipulations. John Cage uh, 
uh, was doing mm-hmm. some of that stuff. Uh, some of the early synthesizer uh, pioneers, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing that kind of stuff. Sabotnik and so forth. And so, so I, w- I was really influenced by that. And I, I got a, a lot of electronic music stuff. Uh, then, obviously, uh, when I got the rock band going, you know, I was taking a little different approach because it was more, uh, you know, kind of more mainstream stuff. And, you know, I was influenced by the talking heads and so forth, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, which they got into some tech, techno and so forth. So ever since, I've had recording equipment. Um, uh, with the Zoom stuff, I started with 4-track. It was, uh, uh, I had an A3340S, which was a, uh, uh, a TAC machine. And uh, it was cool because you could actually record sound on sound uh, without having to change uh, tapes. You could record stereo, and then you could record a third track, and then a fourth track. And uh, so I would like be bouncing tracks like that, and then I had another stereo deck, and then I would bounce to that, and then I would take that tape, put it back on the four track, add a couple more tapes, uh, a couple more tracks. Uh, so, you know, the Beatles were doing a lot of uh, work a little earlier on four tracks, so I, I felt, you know, uh, I was in good company there because I was very insp- inspired by the Beatles and their studio work. Right. When I look at Ipecac, the album, and I see Flipside Studios in Canoga Park, that's you, That's your studio. That is correct. Uh, I was Flipside Studio, or Studios at first, because um, my brother had a recording uh, or a, uh, a little record label, a private record label called Flipside Records. And so I took Flipside Studios. I'm going, that's cool. And then I found out that there was a Flipside magazine and all sorts of other Flipside this and that uh, locally that were much more famous. That's when I decided, you know, I'm going to go for a different, uh, different uh, name. So I, I picked Trigon. I go, wow, Trigon is a three-sided uh, musical instrument. You know, it's like a lyre, but with you know three sides. And so I took Trigon Records, which is my record company, and Trigon Studios. So it turns out that there's all sorts of Trigon stuff, too. Trigon Insurance, Trigon Gate Company. So, uh, you know, go figure, you know. That was before the Internet. I couldn't do research on it, so I just picked it. Right, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you had a record label as well. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Trigon Records. Um, I put out my own stuff. I put out, uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff that uh, interested me. I put out um, uh, some local punk rock bands. I did a couple compilations. I did a thing called Give Me the Keys, which was like one of the first ones. Um, I did an album called Woodstock 1985, which was um, uh, sort of a fake Woodstock album. And it was, um, uh, that was the first thing that I did. And it was uh, satire. You know, it was basically, uh, you know, sort of, uh, we made up fake bands and fake song titles and had fake, you know, musicians using fake, you know, aliases and so forth playing on it. Uh, we had a little bit of success on that one. Um, I actually got written up in uh, on that with um, uh, on People magazine in 1986. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, uh, and that was the, like the uh, the the, uh, the pinnacle of my career, and it's been downhill ever since, basically. <laughs> so, uh, commercially speaking. So, uh, so yeah, when you uh, say punk bands, like who are we talking? Uh, oh, you know, uh, look, like Clawhammer was one. Uh, Thirsty Brats, the Lazy Cowgirls, I was associated with some local bands that uh, we put out. You have to tell me about your connection to the Lazy Cowgirls. They're one of my favorite bands. Oh, uh, yeah, they did a couple of recordings. They did um, Tapping the Source, and it actually came out on three different um, uh, three different uh, labels. One was in Australia, one was here, and I think that then they, they put it out on, uh, I'm not sure if it was Europe or whatever. But, yeah, um, I uh, sat in with them on saxophone on a, on a few uh, gigs. Uh, they played like the Anti-Club, in, in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which was one of the more popular punk rock um, 
uh, venues, you know, in town. And, uh, you know, so I became quite uh, familiar with them. Pat Todd, you know, uh, I've yep. you know, had contact with him, you know, over the years, just some, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And I was really impressed by their, you know, uh, the songwriting. And it was really, uh, you know, it was tight and it was, uh, you know, just very, um, I don't know, there was some integrity to it that I, I just like identified with. And, and, and the crowds at the gigs were really, uh, you know, very enthusiastic. And, uh, yeah. you know, they always put on great shows. So, yeah, uh, so they recorded that album, Tapping the Source. I'm not sure if you're familiar with their uh, discography. I am, yeah. You know, done once again, I think that was one of the first things I, I recorded when I got my A-track recorder. So, mm, okay. uh, and it was uh, all set up, uh, you know, in in, in, uh, in one of the bedrooms. And uh, the drums, I, I think, were, were playing out in the garage. And, and so I didn't have visual contact, but I could hear them on the, he uh, the headphones and so forth. But yeah, they were they were they were excellent. One of my favorite groups uh, from that wow. era. Yeah, definitely. Any other notable recordings from your uh, from your studio? Well, um, one that was on on FST, which you probably are familiar with, and that's the Scott Colby uh, slide of hand. Uh, oh yeah, we haven't gotten that to that one yet, but yeah, and that was uh, very memorable because you know there's some pretty well known people on it, and uh, you yeah. know to specifically you know like Henry Kaiser was involved in it. And, uh, you know, John Drumbo French and uh, Jesse Ed Davis played on it. Uh, Bruce Fowler, uh, Ben Clatworthy, a sax player. I guess he's British, British dude. So, uh, yeah. And, and Scott Colby himself, which is, he's, a, you know, a great, uh, uh, you know, guitarist. And uh, he played on uh, Ipecac, for example. Uh, he played the, uh, the slide Dobro. And, in fact, yeah. he's credited as playing uh, uh, Bathroom uh, Dobro. <laughs> which, yeah, so he, he he actually recorded in the shower stall, so that was wow. cool because of the natural yeah. Um, acoustics. Yeah, it really sounded good, I and mean, it was like you know uh, natural reverb then. So and, and another one uh, which is on SSC, I believe, the Leaving Trains. I did like uh, at least one recording with them and some other people that I recorded with, um, not specifically at my studio, but that I actually performed or recorded on on their recordings. Wow, that's cool. So for this recording, Ipecac, you're by this point you're starting to rehearse at your house. I don't know where the rehearsals were held. I, I think so. Um, actually, my garage. Uh, it was recorded or rehearsed in, in my garage. In fact, and probably the neighbors were you know pretty upset by that because it was it was pretty loud. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes, the, so the rehearsals were in the garage, and the uh, recording was done you know in my studio, which was partially in the garage and partially in the house. Okay, I'm wondering if you can tell me about some of the players. Danny Buchanan played bass. Yeah, Danny. He was a great bass player. I'm not sure of his background, but um, he, uh, you know, basically was, uh, you know, I, I think he had some jazz influences as well. A lot of uh, Zeus's players had jazz influences, uh, you know, and a lot of his stuff was very, you know, intricate and so forth. So, you know, even though it sounded chaotic, it really wasn't. Yeah. And so Danny like, could hang with any of that stuff. Uh, I'm not sure if he was one of the Cal Arts guys. Because I know there were others like N.B. Gordy and Art Charvinen. You mentioned Marvin Gordy played drums. Yeah, M.B. Gordy, that's yeah. right. Um, and in fact, um, I think somebody was saying M.B. Gordy Simmons, which is which I found pretty interesting because um, Simmons was the brand of the drums that he was playing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it was the Simmons drums, which are actually electronic drum pads that are connected to a, a you know a synthesizer head, and uh, they're like these hexagonal 
uh, pad. I don't know. You've, you've probably seen yep. them from, from old yep. uh, photographs and so forth. Uh, and in fact, I, I have a set of Simmons drums that was donated to me by um, uh, Mark Siegel from uh, Paper Bag. And I, oh, wow. that's another band, another band that I played uh, with. It's not Paper Bag, but Bag Theory, which was a spinoff. So, uh, but you asked about Danny, and uh, I just know he was uh, uh, an excellent an excellent musician, as were all the, 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 the players. But I didn't know too yeah. much about his background. Okay. Uh, Matt Carlson sang on the uh, one of the standout tracks, Sit Down and Shut Up. He was in a band called Earth Dies Burning. What can you tell me That's about right. them? That's right. Um, Earth Dies Burning. They were very sort of uh, avant-garde, experimental stuff. Um, and Zoogs did a lot of gigs with them. Um, uh, see, I, there was like a scene, I guess it was um, Zoogs and John Truby and uh, Matt and his buddies, uh, Earth Dies Burning. They were a little younger, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, they may have been have going to uh, college together, art school, or something like that. Uh, but yeah, they were opening for a lot of Zeus's uh, uh, gigs, specifically at um, uh, Bebop Records and uh, and Fine Arts in Reseda, which was uh, okay. you know a very uh, you know uh, happening place back in the '80s. And uh, you know it was uh, sort of a haven for you know fringe types of artists that you know probably couldn't you know play some of the more mainstream uh, clubs. And so uh, it was. Uh, it was actually run by an artist, uh, Richard Bruland. And so, uh, yeah, Earth Dies Burning was one of those um, groups that uh, you know would be playing with us quite quite a bit. I believe. One of the more interesting things I found about this album is the title track, Ipecac, was sampled by a rapper, The Game. Have you? Do you know yes, anything about this? I, I after the fact. I mean, that was just what about what was it? Ten years ago? When was that? It was quite a, a while ago. Yeah, it was somewhere fine. around there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I heard it. I'm going, wow, that's that's pretty pretty amazing. It was like I was flashing on, uh, you know, what what, what was it, uh, Vanilla Ice or something? I don't know. Didn't he sample uh, Rick James or something? Right. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm going, or, or uh, you know, something like that. And I assume that he got permission to do it, but uh, hmm. you know, to me, that's a tribute, I guess. Yeah, in, for in sure. A way, yeah. yeah. As they say, uh, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of plagiarism, right? Right. Is it true that this was originally, the original idea was to do a triple album for Ipecac? Ah, not that I know of. I don't remember that. Uh, I, I do remember, though, that, um, you know, it was a, uh, a picture disc. And I'm not sure if right. you have, have seen it, but it's, uh, th- I have the original. I'm looking at it right now, and it's, uh, you know, his own artwork. But uh, as far as a triple album, mm, uh, no, that's news to me. I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, okay. He may have maybe mentioned it or something like that, but um, I don't think he was serious about that. It, it was pretty expensive <laughs> to put out a uh, an album at that time. I think he got some kind of financing. It um, it was done originally by Erica Records, which was the manufacturer, and then it's marketed by Azra Records. But it, it was self-produced yeah. pretty much. And then I get uh, SST put it out. Well, I think it was also released by Snout, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was Zeus's label. Yeah, I, I know the next one, Interim Resurgence, was definitely um, um, Snout. Uh, I, I'm not even sure he was actually at Snout at that point. It, it's you know, it was him basically, his his right. uh, his, his label there. So so yeah, you know, it was uh, difficult to uh, to record because of the, the limitations. And the great thing about working with Zeus is that um, he made me uh, basically do things that I hadn't even thought of. I mean, he he had no technical chops, but he had great artistic chops. And so he would think of something. He said, hey, can we do this? And I go, I don't know. I, I've never done that. You know. <laughs> and then I, I tried it. I'm going, 
wow, I guess you can do that. You know, taking tapes and turning them upside down and making loops and running them around the around the room with like three or four people holding them, uh, you know, just so they wouldn't hit the floor, you know, uh, running running things backwards. He, he, he really, he was brilliant in, in, in the concept phase of it. And so I, I was really, uh, you know, pleased to work with him because, you know, it made my, uh, my technical chops much better. And, and that came in handy through the years when I worked with him, culminating in uh, Nutritionally Sound, which, uh, you know, was done with actually the beginnings of uh, digital recording. Right. That's the two of you together. Yes, that that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And we uh, basically had a falling out, uh, you know, not too long after that. Right. And I didn't speak to him for years. Talk to me about that, if if you don't mind. I mean, I I've heard varying stories of you know him being somewhat difficult to work with at times. Yeah, yeah, that that would be an understatement. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody that's ever worked for him has had some kind of run in with him, uh, maybe excluding Richie. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I was fired in 1986 because uh, over some. Uh, you know, dispute that we had over, uh, he, he wanted to be to have, give him some recording time. And I, I didn't give him enough recording time because I had something else that I had to do. And so he took exception to that. And we played a gig. Strange story about that is that I was actually arrested for uh, burglary from a motor vehicle that same day uh, and bailed <laughs> myself out in time for a gig that night. And so I played this gig uh, at some uh, place called Charlie's Obsession downtown with uh, opening for the Fibonacci's. Are you familiar with that? Jeez, I'm that not sure that, that. Yeah, that was the prototypical art band that he was always, uh, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think it was Craig, uh, Mr. California, told us about. Right, about he was that. a big yeah. fan of the Fibonacci's. Anyway, we played a gig with them, and and then the next day he fired me, and I thought, well, he fired me because I was like late to the, you know, to the gig. No, it was unrelated to that. But so yeah, eventually I had to, you know, spend a bunch of money get a lawyer. Uh, it was like. Um, uh, uh, basically, I was framed. Uh, <laughs> it's a long, long, long story. But Dukes fired fired me, and then I understand he fired you know Truby at one point, uh, John Sharkey at another point. I mean, pretty much everybody. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he was very opinionated, very difficult to work with, but um, but brilliant in, in the fact that he knew what he wanted, and basically he wouldn't let anybody get in his way. You know that that was part of his personality. That you know, love him or hate him, that that was Dukes. All right, thanks for being on the show, Mark. And Brent, are we going to have Mark on next week too? Yeah, we're going to have part two because he was obviously involved in uh, interim resurgence as well. Nice. I want to have him on back to talk about the Lazy Cowgirls record, Tapping the Source some more though. Yeah, you definitely, I could tell you exercised some serious (laughs) restraint there. You were just just like, have you ever heard of them? You're like, "Uh, yeah, yeah. That was good. It, you know what, though? The little bit that he mentioned about uh, the cowgirls totally makes sense, right? About their their songwriting and what type of, of folks they are. Yeah, for sure, man. Hey, I have some reviews of this record. Check this out. This is from BAM Magazine in 1985 by, the, by a guy named Barry Alfonso. Ipecac combines intriguing, at times inspired music with uncompromisingly misanthropic and hilarious poetry. It's pun- <laughs> it's pungent stuff for those not afraid to laugh at the grotesque in life. All others should stick with Toto and Madonna. <laughs> and here's one from Music Connection, May, June, 85. And the review, Ryan, is by Screamin' Lord Duff. Oh, man. 
Hey, and we had a Vox uh, Pop reference earlier today uh, on the show, right? Yeah. So we've got a bit of Duff, a bit of Doll going on here. Nice. Yeah, man. Yep. Ipecac is uncommercial and at times vile, but to call it derivative would be short-sighted and just plain stupid. While Zappa Beefheart comparisons were applicable on some of his previous releases, Rift has developed the sound of the band The Amazing Shitheads into something unto itself. Originally a cassette release, Ipecac was largely instrumental and contained enough material for a two-record set. Double nickels on the Zoog's arcade, perhaps? <laughs> Cut down to one disc, it is still the remaining instrumental pieces that shine the brightest. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, do you think when he's saying Zoog's earlier records, he's thinking of Island of Living Puke, Looser Than Clams yeah. and Water? Yeah, yeah this, is the, sure. this is the SST version he's reviewing, so... Yeah, exactly. And uh, some I pulled out some more comments that Bruce made in, in this review for when we get to the tracks. And here's one from the LA Reader, March 8th, 1985, by Matt Groening, who I'm sure we mentioned was a huge Zoog's Rift fan. He listed this album, Ryan, as his album of the year for 1985. Whoa. <laughs> Impeccably played smart guy rock with wise guy lyrics and poor guy attitude. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Should we cut to the tracks? Sure, man. History Lesson, Part 2. Okay, side one, track one, is Ipecac. And Ryan, the album title in case anybody doesn't know it's like a drug that induces vomiting that's what ipecac is right yeah it's like this elixir that makes you puke your guts out yeah starts you know kind of starts off with this cool piece with vibes synth bass maybe some sax i think i hear in there and then it splices into like danny buchanan playing for sure the fretless bass it almost sounds like les claypool when he plays his fretless bass He's panned hard right, and M.B. Gordy is panned hard left, playing big roles on those Simmons drums, which remind yeah. me of this band I love called Watchtower. And then Zoogs is right up the middle with his noisy T-bar guitar. Bruce calls it, in his review, calls this dissonant, harmonically dense, technically difficult, showing off both the skill of composer Rift and the instrumental prowess of his truly amazing shitheads. Yeah, they can definitely play. We do talk about this in the interview, but this is the track that was sampled uh, by this rapper, The Game, on his album, Doctor's Advocate. I think the song's called Da Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> of course it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, track two, Sunday Brun Brunch with Fod Ramses. Fod Ramses is a fictional character from 1963 horror movie Blood Feast. His character is a psychotic food caterer who kills women so he can include their body parts in his meals, hence the title of this song. So this is definitely a trademark Zoogs thing, is like referencing movie characters and TV shows. Yeah. Have you seen this movie? You're kind of a, a yeah, boring guts guy. Yeah, I've yeah. Trauma released it in okay. like the 80s, re-released it. Like a... Like a re-release, yeah, yeah. This is another instro. Uh, Richie tearing it up on the vibes of the marimba. I'm not sure which is which. Uh, here's a review I found, just a quick blurb from Forced Exposure by Rincoli, actually. 
The real snapper on Ipecac is the playing of Zoogs' eternal sidekick, Richie Haas. So Byron really rated Richie's playing on this album high. Track three, Sit Down and Shut Up, is eight minutes long. This is the annoying guy from Island of Living Puke track, Nightclub Sequence. We've heard him before, uh, yep. although this track came out first. Uh, it's Matt Carlson. He's credited as Groovy Teenage Narration. He's from the band Earth Dies Burning. Uh, Zoo, there, a lot of Zooks posters from that area, era have Earth Dies Burning as, as one of the openers. And the label Captured Tracks released a comp in 2013 called Songs from the Valley of the Bored Teenager, 1981-1984, to of Earth Dies Burning stuff. And if you listen to it, you can totally see how it, it would fit with Zoog's Rift. What does it sound like? It doesn't sound unlike Zoog's Rift, I guess. Not as It's not as jazzy or technical, but huh. it's definitely quirky. I've actually never sought that out. Yeah. Time to add it to the list. Yeah. Here's from Bruce. This song actually garnered local airplay on KROQ. It follows a teenage dude from the time he gets off work Friday until he makes it down to the club lingerie to catch a show by the shitheads. It's funny and incredibly accurate. This <laughs> Halfway through the song, like the band kicks in, right? When the dude yeah. goes to see the band and they, they kick in. It's kind of a wicked riff, and Zoogs is on vocals with some pretty funny lyrics like, let's just say I'm happy to be back. I hope I make you smile before I, you hit the sack. Hope you don't gather too much sweat between your crack. <laughs> <laughs> and he's referencing, yeah. he's making all kinds of pop culture references from the time, like Saturday Night Live, The Mentors, Culture Club, Duran Duran, Van Halen. Yeah, definitely breaks into a rocker there halfway through. Yeah, Zoogs' soloing at the end of this song reminds me of Paul Leary of the Butthole Surfers, too. Ah, uh, yes. Zoogs' wrist. <laughs> I thought he said Zog's wrist. Yeah, yeah, right, Zog's wrist, yeah. Who's playing Zog's wrist? <laughs> you kind of want to punch him, eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, track four, Secret Marines 3D. Ooh. Yeah, so... We've heard the Secret Marines before. We'll be yes. getting to My Daddy Works for the Secret Marines in a couple weeks on Amputees in Limbo. Uh, plus, <laughs> the Secret Marines, the sequel, is on that record. We've already heard that song on Looser Than Clams, though. Are you confused yet, Ryan? Keep going. I'm with you. <laughs> I guess this makes this song part three of the Secret Marines. And then Island of Living Puke had the Secret Marines blowout on it. Yeah. So surely there will be more Secret Marines to come. Oh, oh man. If we're fully immersed <laughs> in Zoog's Rift for four weeks, this is going to make more and more sense every day. Like, it's yeah. going to be actually... It's going to be like, no, 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 man. That's not the Secret Marines song you're thinking of. Oh, yeah, right, right. No, no, no. It's this Secret Marines song. All these Secret Marine songs, he's talking about Daddy's Brain Jar and Jumper Cables, and I want to. I'm going to listen to all these Secret Marines tracks back to back, and see if I listen can make, to see if I can make sense of it all. Yeah, string together the story. You better listen to them in the right order, though. Yeah. Okay, track five, Pump City. This is from Bruce. Another instro, smooth, flowing, peaceful, and serene. 
even as things gradually begin to modulate out of tune. It's a good little slow ditty to end the uh, the first side. I think I might have read in Clams in the Glass that his next album he had decided at the time was going to be an instrumental album. So that would have been Island of Living Puke, probably, which is definitely not an inst- instrumental album. Or no, Interim Resurgence. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it would either be Interim Resurgence or Amputees in Limbo. Okay, well, we'll have to see how, mu- how, how many instros are on that one. Yeah. Maybe he made good on his promise. We'll have to find out. Oh, haven't you listened to those yet? Interim Resurgence? Yeah, I listened to it when I was gearing up to interview Mark, but I, to be honest with you, I can't remember. It was all, oh, okay. it was all kind of blurring <laughs> together a little bit. <laughs> okay, then we're going to flip it over, Ryan, to side two. I was the only boy at the teen girl's slumber party. This is kind of the <laughs> album's centerpiece. <laughs> sing it again please i was the only boy at the teen girl slumber party so let me let me ask you this uh does the riff sound like the war song spill the wine to you it it is that song yeah it is right yeah yeah Okay. okay bruce mentions it in this uh review that he does rift is largely known as a teller of rude yet comical tales this rambling 11 minute opus is a hysterical send-up of of all things spill the wine by war which of course was eric burden's band after the animals as he mentions it's almost 12 minutes long it's got mark kind of ripping it up on the flute scott d of colby does a (laughs) wicked bathroom dobro solo on it yeah (laughs) mb gordy's playing some pretty gnarly tabla uh i'm not even going to attempt to explain the story that Zoogs tells in this song. It has to be heard. It's pretty salacious. Yeah. This one's a highlight for me. I love this song. It's really catchy, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope it's on on the next Zoogs Greatest Hits record so I can hear you (laughs) sing it again. All right, the second track, No Use. We've heard this one before. This is the only track from Impacac that made it onto the looser and looser than clams comp yeah love the playing on this track in his book there's handwritten lyrics for this song and it's original it was originally called looser than clams and then he has it crossed out and no use is is written in a pretty good sax solo on here i'm assuming from mark and then we go to track uh, three on side two santa's on a diet Here's from Bruce. The twisted lines and punkish rhythms go hand in hand with Riff's childlike abstractions. This one for me is probably the least favorite song on the album. Yeah, it's not a highlight. Yeah. (laughs) And then track four, You Fucked Up. Again, we hear (laughs) Zooks is kind of uh, predicting the character of Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. He's (laughs) He's just going, face the facts, bud, you fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> it's six and a half minutes of like this insane instro track with Zoogs ranting over top. It's a hard slog for me, to be honest. Yeah. So this screaming that he does on this, he does this way more on some of the other albums. Like this is the only track that really has this on it, you know? The rest of the yeah. stuff's his vocals, like he he sings a lot more. But Ryan, the three extra tracks on the digital version of this. One's called Everything Happens to Me, which is okay, but the next two tracks, Radiation and Symptoms in Some Cellophoda 
approximating I'm not even trying to say the name of this title <laughs> they're both really great songs uh, for me I would have taken off these last two songs Santa's on a diet and you fucked up and put those two songs on there they're they're hmm. really good like as good as anything on the record definitely worth checking out how did you find them they're like, on, just on, they're on Spotify they're on Spotify oh, or you can buy them on like uh, iTunes and you know what, man? Like, say what you want about streaming, but if you buy the digital version of this or even stream it, the money is going straight to Zoogs' family. So, yeah, it's not it's not cool. like it's not like you can buy a new version of this on on vinyl. You know what I mean? No, no, I agree. Yeah, artwork. Yeah, let's talk about the artwork. Um, the front cover. I don't know. It it kind of looks like. A number of images of the same guy over yeah. and over. It's definitely Zoogs' pick... artwork. Yeah, could you pick out this guy as like one of the characters from the album? Maybe. From the lyrics? I don't know. He's got this weird, like, almost like a side ponytail. He looks like a demented Bert from Sesame Street with... A pierced ear and some weird side ponytail thing. I don't know. You should list the players there, Ryan. We haven't actually mentioned them all. I th I'm sure we got them all in the interview, but just just to be on the safe side. Sure. And I'll go through the uh, the instruments too, right? Yeah. So there's Zoogs on lead vocal, T-Bar guitar, Casio keyboard thing, and Guero. And then the amazing shitheads are Richie Haas on marimba vibes, Buzz Vibes and Synthesizer, Mark Mylar on tenor sax, soprano sax, synthesizer and flute, MB Gordy on Simmons drums, tabla and jingle bells. Guess which song that's on. Uh, Jonathan Mako Sharkey, again, one of the best uh, stage names of all time on, on synthesizer. Danny Buchanan on bass guitar, fretless bass and slide bass. And then He's a good special bass thing, player, man. Oh, yeah. Special thanks to Scott Colby for his bathroom dobro solo on Slumber Party, which you mentioned, and Matt Carlson for the groovy teenage narration on Sit Down and Shut Up. We mentioned, uh, or you did in the interview, anyways, recorded May through June 84 at Flipside Studios, engineered by Mark and uh, assistant engineer Owen Green. And then there is kind of a a black and white or almost like a what, what do you call this type of uh image it's like a an negative inverted, yeah inverted image. like a negative photo of zoogs up close and then there's a spiel here brent should i lay it on you yeah man so it says zoogs rift ipecac and then it starts with the word beaten are you happy now that i've been beaten it's what you've been working at for so fucking long now hey don't you dare just turn your back on me now in your usual indifference. Don't you fucking dare. And there you sit so smug like the cat who ate the canary. But you better chew me up good boy, because if it's the last thing I ever do, I'm going to make you choke. All right. The end. <laughs> hey, on the back of that NSFD version, on the back sleeve, this is what it says. Check out these other fine releases by Zoog's Rift. Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course. Music sucks. None of your damn business. <laughs> Can you smell my genitals from where you're standing? <laughs> and 
and amputees in limbo phase three. If, if it, <laughs> I think three of those five album titles are fake. I think, <laughs> I think, <laughs> oh my gosh. Do we have any dead wax, Ryan? Negatory. All right, then I guess we're off to the ballot result. Ballot result. Did we put no use on last time for the water record? Or, uh, sorry, Looser Than Clams. Did we put no use on? Because that would be my favorite. I'm not sure, man. That's your favorite, eh? Well, I think it was... It may have just been kind of recognizability. I have listened to this record before... Um, not that long ago, like when I first picked it up, maybe six, seven years ago, and I've never really went back to it. It's, mm. it's not a favorite of mine from Zooks. And, Those... uh, this song, I, I just recognize it from the Looser Than Clowns record. Yeah. I had that picked out as my second favorite. Do you know what my first favorite was? Oh my God. Sing it for me, Brant. I was the only boy. <laughs> <laughs> that part where he's going... Ooh, ooh, girl, ooh, girls. Oh, girls. <laughs> Gets me every time. Oh, as you wish. You know, Ryan, this is going to be the last track on our comp tape. On volume six of on, the ballot result, right? On side two? Yeah. It's the perfect ending. All, all 12 minutes of it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Might as well. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks, Mark, for being a guest on the show, too, hey? Yeah, for sure. And for next week. Yeah. What's next week, Ryan? It's uh, SST-121, the Zoog's Rift album, Interim Resurgence. Right on. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.